past the creaky metal gates. Through the fog-enveloped graveyard, you find yourself on the rickety old porch of a long-forgotten home. Beyond the threshold sits a man obsessed, a tortured soul, cursed to discover all about the Southern California haunt community and beyond. You have now entered the domain of the Creepcast with Rick Creeper. <laughs> Alrighty, we're back at it, guys. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Once again, this is Rick Creeper 11 with the Creepcast Podcast, episode 12. I know it's been a while, but uh, we're back at it. Today, I have actually two guests. We'll have a co-host and a guest as well. Uh, my guest tonight is the mind of Robert, Robert Reynoso. He is a spook show enthusiast and ghost master, the creative is uh, creator and producer of the Haunted House of the Ghoul Spook Show. Did I got that correct? Yes, sir. And my co-host is my good friend Emmanuel Manjavar, aka Menji Speaks, uh, YouTuber, voiceover artist extraordinaire. He is the voice of the podcast. So you're, you've heard Emmanuel's voices before, the intro, the outro, and the segues of the podcast. As you step through the creeping gates. <laughs> wow, I already wrote that a long time ago. Hi, everybody. Hello, hello. What am I doing here? <laughs> hello, you hello. fucking wanker. Oh, no. There's going to be a lot of voices today from Beep. all three of us. There we go. <laughs> How are we doing, gentlemen? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Robert, you have the voice of a, uh, I want to say like a Nat Geo like documentary or something. It's all the, the the tundra of the Arctic, or that's something. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm not sure how to refer to that one. Um, maybe I'm in the wrong business then. <laughs> As the polar bear stalks its prey. <laughs> <laughs> both both you guys have amazing voices. And then I have, I was told recently by um, a person who listens to podcasts. They're like, you you sound like Kevin Smith. So I don't know if that's a compliment. I would say in the world of podcasts, yeah, definitely a compliment. That guy runs like five or six podcasts at a time. Well, well so. apparently I need to wear a backwards hat and oversized hockey jersey. So yes. I know it's just, you know, it comes with the territory, yeah. I think. I think that's actually what they get you after you have like a thousand subscribers or something. I just, uh, Kevin Smith, I just pictured the dude from Clerks and like right. uh, Mall Rats. Uh, it's like. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think a lot of people out there haven't heard what Kevin Smith sounds like. They've only seen the movies. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. It's that's usually true. just like. But if you've heard Kevin Smith speak, you've heard him speak enough. He's I just, actually a big talker. I just envision him. I'm like, is that what I look like? I, said, I was like, that's, that's terrible. That's like, terrible. That's terrible. Like when you said thank you, there was a question mark at the end. Like, thank you? I'm like, thank you, you <laughs> son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. So how are we doing, gentlemen? Doing great. Mm, thank you for having me here. Thank you for having I've been an admirer of your performances uh, for some time now. I think we've been insta-friends for a couple of years. Yeah, at least. Um, I, I've always been an admirer of just you, you've, you've, um, brought to mainstream media somewhat, um, an old art form. A lot of people are not fully aware of. And I mean, I know what a spook show is or spook theater. And so does Menji. And it's obviously you, um, how would you describe to the audience, um, the history or just like the legend of lore of, um, the spook show and the theater performance and whatnot? Well, um, when I talk about the history of spook shows, um, I go back really, really far. I mean, in general, what spook shows started out as were um, midnight ghost haunted themed illusion shows. And, uh, you know, 
like right there I'm going back to about the 1930s but when I talk about the history of spook shows I go back way far you know uh, there was a guy back in uh, 1778 in Paris France uh, named Etienne Gaspar Robert oh wow yeah um, during performances he called himself uh, Robertson and in fact I actually I played with the idea of calling myself Robertson Reynoso as kind of a little tip of the hat to him that's kind of cool that's got a ring to it he is really good yeah know, maybe I will go with it You're, you guys are uh, not the first to tell me that so I, I, I like the guy the guy was very dark um, he was um, he was a very brainy guy I want to imagine he was kind of also a very cynical person um, but he created uh, the Phantasmagoria show Okay. back in uh, Paris, France, 1778, and it must have absolutely terrified people. And I take a lot of inspiration from him because, in all honesty, the spook shows, when they became like really popular in America and in Canada, uh, they were a lot of fun. You know, they were about uh, drawing teenagers in and, you know, uh, giving them an excuse to stay out late, late past midnight with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, significant other and such. But uh, Etienne really wanted to scare people. Um, the Phantasmagoria show, it was Frankenstein before Frankenstein. Okay. He, um, what he would do, he would uh, meet people on the streets as they were passing by. He had like a building, like a chapel or a building that was arranged ahead of time that uh, he would prepare, of course. And as people were passing by, he would invite them in. And if it was at a chapel or a church... Um, he invited them into the show. I'm sure he charged money. I think he treated it like a business. And once they were inside, he would kind of prep the audience. He would sh uh, expose them to like these medical and scientific experiments of the day, like uh, galvanism, you know, where you have like a dead frog and you put electric wires to it and its leg would move and twitch, you know, yeah. very Frankensteinish kind of stuff. And he did this to convince his audiences that he had the power and the knowledge to bring the dead back to life. Uh, I also understand that he gave them drugs and alcohol. I don't know what drugs he gave them, in all honesty. Opioids, maybe. I yeah. <laughs> would assume. Little, yeah. little, little absinth, snuff. Absinth oh. or something. Ooh, mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Absinth, yeah. It, it was all done you know, to, to prep them and to get them ready. And um, so after they were showing this stuff and they were believing this guy could do this stuff, um, he brought them into another room in the chapel. And it was completely dark. And uh, people would sit in, and uh, once they were inside, all the, the windows were blacked out, the doors were blacked out, they would sit in the dark, and then uh, this eerie music would start to play in the darkness, and it was made by an instrument called uh, the metallic harp, or the metal harp. Um, have you ever seen, like, you know, guys have like, the wine glass, or uh, the, the champagne uh, glasses? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and they yeah. run their finger along, mm -hmm. kind of stuff. It sounded like that. And that music would start to play, and then there'd be um, like whispering sounds, almost like that. Exactly. It's okay. Kind of interesting. That's, that's kind of interesting. That upload of that. Clairvoyance on your part. I love when synchronicity happens. <laughs> it's wonderful. So that you know that kind of eerie music. Imagine that playing in the background, and then there'd be like whispering sounds in the background. And so uh, this was like in a very immersive performance. So like it'd be a theater, uh, theatrical performance throughout the different sods or rooms that this this person performed oh uh, yeah uh, two rooms for at least you know uh the the medical room i guess we could call it kind of like the medical exposure room you know the galvanism and, and such and then yeah bringing them into this uh, dark room where apparently the spirits were going to appear okay um yeah they were in the dark that eerie music would start to play whispering sounds would start to happen and then in the darkness 
a glowing image would appear, and it'd be like a skull or a demon, uh, a phantom figure would just appear in the darkness, and at first it would be kind of far away. And it's kind of interesting too because um, you know the spook show guys in like the 1950s or the 1930s and 1950s they took from the popular media of the day. They took from film, and they had Frankenstein and Dracula, the Wolfman appear during their shows. Etienne took from the popular media of his day, uh, novels. So he had uh, The Bleeding Nun appear during his shows. Oh, wow. Um, I never read the book. I think it's from The Monk. Uh, the Bleeding Nun was like this arbinger of death. If you saw The Bleeding Nun, death was going to uh, appear to somebody, you know? So in the darkness, you know, these uh, figures would start to appear, and the, the Bleeding Nun would appear, and a teen would be like, It's the Bleeding Nun! Everyone be careful! Watch out! And then all of a sudden, these images and uh, these glowing figures would rush towards them and get bigger and scream and, you know, all this stuff. And like I said, he was a very dark individual. There's a quote from him. Uh, paraphrasing here a bit, but it was something like, I am not satisfied unless my audiences are screaming and throwing up their hands in terror. Uh, and so this, like I said, this show must have just absolutely terrified people. I'm sure there were some at the time who understood what a teen was doing. They mm -hmm. got in on the joke. Um, was there anything else that you know of that was going on at the time? Did he, did he create this craft on his own? Was there inspiration besides the novels? It was, yeah, it was before. Yeah, okay. uh, he was the one that took it to the dark realm. Um, I guess, I guess we could talk about what he was using. He used something called the Magic Lantern, otherwise known as a projector. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so you lantern. know about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's what he did. Um, people were using the Magic Lantern. It was basically just a projector. The same thing that a lot of haunters and people are using today, you know, uh, with the Atmosphere DVD, Dark Atmosphere DVDs. Yeah. yeah. Atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you can go to uh, Target. I still go to Target every year and I buy like those uh, projectors where it's just a simple slide projector. And he was, that's basically what he was using. He'd have people hidden behind dark curtains and they had the Magic Lantern and uh, yeah, he would uh, just have skulls and uh, demon portraits on these glass slides. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people knew, uh, people know about him. Uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have actually brought him up as like a grandfather of special effects and cinema and such. Oh, wow. So he definitely had influence on people in, in film and cinema. Then. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Um, he got in trouble. If I, if I remember right, he actually he got in trouble because, you know, there was kind of rules and such about uh, witchcraft. So. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'd hope he get in trouble. <laughs> witchcraft and magic. And I guess he got in trouble a few times and had to stop. So uh, it didn't go on for too long. But yeah, uh, there were other people who were using the magic lanterns before it. He took it to that realm of making it spooky and scary, you know. And so people like me and uh, other, you know, magicians and uh, uh, ghost masters, uh, I, I, I want to consider him the <clears throat> first real ghost master. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I, it just, I didn't want to cut you off. No, but no, like, no. Yeah, and I mean, what I mean by I hope you got in trouble was like, like that's, <laughs> that makes it a good story, quite honestly, huh. is that, yeah, I hope like I hope the, the authorities get in on it and they're like, oh, what are you, especially back then when, you know, you said late 1700s, right? Yes. So this, like, was it, this was in France, you said? Paris, France. Oh, yeah. Paris, France. Now, Emmanuel, can we do a French accent? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> why are you bringing ghosts into here? You How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> you are going to make my wife fail, <laughs> This church, it already got one. Okay, this isn't racist, is it? No, 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 no. It's all this good is, fun. This is the theater, theater of the mind. Theater, theater of the mind. mind. Yes, yeah, of course. Um, but it sounds like not only was it a precursor to early special effects, but even just a precursor to early haunts. Yes, as he's even bringing people into separate rooms. The fact that, not to cut you off, I'm sorry. No. The little that I knew about spook shows, it was always brought. Every it was a, a it was an audience, a grand audience brought into a a ballroom or a theater room where mm -hmm. they were seated mm -hmm. and the performances were done on stage or there was plants in the crowd or props that would swing in the air. 
But the fact that he took him from one area to the other, it's very immersive. It's kind of like what we see now with the haunts. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. Yeah. A lot, of theme, a lot of theme parks now, right? They do like the pre-shows and stuff right? before Absolutely. you get on the ride. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, like I said, uh, there's just one more like kind of interesting little dark bit I, I love about this guy. Like I said, he was a very brainy guy. He was an engineer. Uh, you could actually find some stuff about him uh, wanting to come up with ideas of, uh, of, um, limps and things he was a very brainy guy but uh, like I said he was a very dark person and uh, there's another uh, thing I've heard like in some somewhere in his memoirs that he when he was a teenager apparently there was a woman who lived in his neighborhood who the neighbor said was a witch and this really intrigued him it intrigued him so much that he actually brought a rooster into his bedroom at night and sacrificed it to Lucifer trying to make him appear Jesus <laughs> I don't know if it ever did but uh, yeah this I think that just goes to show what kind of a guy he was and uh, other people have talked about him he's been brought up before but yeah so I, I consider 18 kind of like the beginning and then you know after 18 we had, there was a lot of things that kind of fed into what eventually became spook shows um, you know a uh, uh, the uh, the Fox sisters. I bring up the Fox sisters quite a bit during my performances. Uh, the you know the two sisters who apparently were able to communicate with the spirit world through right spirit tapping. I don't know if I should knock or anything. No, no you're that, good. You're good. No, actually, Here, that, that wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> now, were, the, were these performers the Fox the Fox sisters and other ones? These performers in the U.S. and what era were they performing in? Yeah, they were in. Uh, yeah, they were in the U.S. The Fox sisters were. Um, uh, they were up like around the New York area, if I remember right. Um, uh, they they got involved in some stuff. They they started the spiritualistic movement. It was after they came out that people became really interested in the spirit realm, and people started having seances at home. Um, after them, there was also like the Davenport brothers, who I think they were the ones who really started bringing some of this more to the stage, like kind of vaudeville stage. Okay. Yeah, they um, they would basically they they did something called a spirit cabinet, where they would tie themselves up uh, in a room or in a small uh, kind of box or a uh, um, a contraption on stage and apparently they were tied up and the spirits would you know rattle tambourines and they would take off their jackets and you know take off one and put it on another one and such um this became a big sensation and uh of course again uh you gotta imagine uh, the time in america this is before the internet this is before tv this is before radio people were bored they needed stuff to do so spirit seances were kind of a fun thing to do you get together with your friends you get out a ouija board or you try and contact the other side um, uh, of course, there were the charlatans that came about who were taking advantage of people. You know, uh, their children were going away to uh, wars and they couldn't say goodbye to them. So, you know, families wanted to say goodbye to their mm-hmm. loved ones who died. Um, they were taking advantage. And then now we're kind of I'm kind of going more towards like the theater side here because uh, eventually we got to like Houdini. You know, Houdini uh, became very famous uh, not only for doing escapes, but because he exposed the fraudulent spirit mediums on stage. Um he had a very skeptical kind of mindset about it. He was making, you know, uh, he was a promoter. He did it to, uh, you know, uh, make a name for himself, which it worked. Um, but it's kind of interesting because, you know, uh, there was also Thurston at the time. Um, you know, Houdini wasn't that great of a magician. He was known as an escape artist. He was more of an escape artist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I heard a story about Houdini, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, excuse me, I shouldn't get the mic, um, <laughs> where he told his wife, um, once he passes, mm-hmm. That he's gonna give her some type of of secret like phrase or word only them two would know. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't know if he requested her to go to different type of psychic mediums or say, you know people that perform seances. And you will know if it's really me if they they share this word with you. And apparently she went to you know a handful of different uh, people that perform seances and they can never 
She pretty much debunked all these people performing these same seances, I guess. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, every year on Halloween, he died on Halloween. So really? Like, I, he died on Halloween? Yes, he did. I was, wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. He died on Halloween. Uh, he was supposed to die before it. He was supposed to die weeks or months ahead of time, but he held on. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, everyone knows the whole thing. He, you know, he was a guy who said he could take a punch from anybody, and uh, he was reading his mail. And uh, I guess these uh, college boys came in and wanted to challenge him to it, and he was kind of just like almost kind of arrogant. I, you know, Houdini. A lot of these performers, I got to admit, they were kind of arrogant. You know, Houdini was arrogant, and you know, he was kind of just like you know reading his mail as the teenager, you know, brought up. Oh, I hear you could take a punch from anybody and survive. And he was reading his mail. Yes, that's true. And as he like stood up, boom, the uh, the college college student i think he was a probably a boxer or he might have been a, a, a football person mm. he was a big to- uh, strong guy is the okay. point mm. and he punched him he uh, ruptured his appendix and you know Ooh, so he died okay yeah yep. and yeah he's supposed to die uh, very soon he didn't he held on and eventually died on halloween and he yeah he told bess uh beth bess his uh wife um you'll know it's me if i give you a secret word secret word yes yeah it was a uh, word uh i believe there was actually two of them um i'm actually I'm sorry about that. I'll just testing the new sounds. <laughs> um, I believe actually the word was believe. Okay. The word was believe. And I think uh, there was a word for his brother as well. Like they were supposed to both receive a word during the seance. Hmm. So Bess was supposed to have the word believe and the brother was supposed to get some other word. Um, now yeah. was Houdini involved in any type of spook shows or he just strictly was an escape artist slash musician? He did. I mean, uh, a magician. Magician. <laughs> was it Eddie Van Halen or something? <laughs> <laughs> magician, excuse me. Uh, he was a movie star. He, he did movies as well. That's true. Oh. Yeah. Um, uh, he did uh, exposing, expose, I'm sorry, exposing, exposure oh. of the of the fraudulent mediums. And uh, that drew a lot more of an audience than his escape stuff really did, at least during the theater. You mm-hmm. know, that's where a lot of people wanted to come in and see, oh, how do these people getting messages from beyond? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't done as a spook show. Uh, the first spook show happened in happened around the early 1930s it was a man by the name of uh elwin charles peck um i have a poster at home uh, i have a few posters of his uh he went by two different names he went by the name ali din and he also called himself elwin but he spelled it differently than in real life I, i've heard the name ali din before you you have a vast collection of actual not replicas but original prints original prints of these spook shows that were put on throughout the different eras I've yes some of them <laughs> yeah you actually saw them over at uh the Halloween at the, the Halloween, Halloween Club, Club spook, spook show, show. you know yeah. no pun intended but yeah yeah um yeah the the Alley Din I had it at the time uh, it's I had it forever but uh I barely got it framed I'm very proud of it it's uh, probably 1934 I say probably because you know it um a lot of the the records and things about these things are kind of you know sort of lost but he wasn't around for that long uh ali din apparently he probably came up with the idea around the 1929 but maybe didn't do one until maybe 1934 which is the poster that i have it's a probably one of the earliest posters you're gonna find um yeah so spook shows to separate like what houdini did from like what guys like uh, elwin and these other people did Spook shows are supposed to be done at midnight, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. they should be done at midnight, featuring a horror movie, and uh, somewhere at the point, somewhere in the show, the theater should be completely dark, and ghosts and spirits and spooks should come out on stage or in the theater. You know, that's what I think really makes a spook show. So Houdini did stuff that was kind of spirit-related, mm-hmm. but it wasn't spook shows. Okay. Yeah, Elwin was really the first guy who did a spook show. When did they start... Uh- creating the difference between like the performers that did like uh, seances and the guys that were actually started doing the more theatrical performances with the spook shows at theaters. 
Uh, I... I'd say it had to start around that with uh, with Houdini, because you know uh, they always copied each other. Everyone stole from each other. The magicians stole from each other. The illusionists they stole from each other. So they were all stealing. Um, a lot of the stuff that's still being done today, you know, originated in you know the spirit seance rooms. You know, the fraudulent mediums. Apparently, you know, it moved to uh, stages. So yeah, uh, Houdini and other guys were doing um, exposures of the the spirit mediums on stage. Like I said, it was Elwin who who turned it into a spook show by making it fun. Whereas Houdini was kind of, I guess, wanting to educate people, wanting to make them less less able to be conned. Uh, guys like Elwin, um, they wanted to entertain. They were having fun with it now. Mm-hmm. You know, now they were kind of, you know, making a joke of it. You know, so it became a lot more fun. Um, and it's kind of interesting too because you know this came out like the the Depression era. Yeah. So, so people uh, needed a distraction. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. And um, apparently the theater owners were very skeptical at the time of whether it was going to work. You know, like, what? You're going to show, you're going to do a midnight ghost illusion show and show a horror movie? Like, it's ridiculous. No one's going to show up. And uh, from, again, from what I understand, from what I could read, um, Elwin made an agreement. You know, magicians and illusionists, they'd be booked at a theater like for a whole week. And he came up to the uh, the theater owner and said, I'll make an agreement. You can keep the profits from the entire week that I'm there performing my standard illusion show, but I want all the profits from the Midnight Spook Show. And it ended up being a great choice because mm. people showed up, they wanted more of it, uh, it sold out, and then it was after that that other theaters started requesting that the other illusion illusionists and conjurers uh, also do spook shows. So now like Blackstone and Thurston, these big, you know, big name uh, magicians started doing Midnight Spook Shows on Saturday. And, you know, that became the big thing. And it was all, at the very beginning, it was about the spirit seances, like I said, um, contacting the other side, receiving messages, and, and having fun with it, making, you know, ghosts fly from one part of the stage to the other, and the blackout, and all this stuff. Um, but, you know, everything goes through phases and changes. So, a little after that, we started having another guy who showed up who became known as the king of the spook shows, and that was Dr. Silkini. Uh, his real name was Jack Baker. Uh, Jack Baker, him and his brother, uh, they were adopted brothers. They both shared the Dr. Silkini name, but they started, uh, you know, the uh, Dr. Silkini spiritualistic seance and ghost show. Now, was this a traveling show or was it predominantly like a certain area of the States? Oh, they traveled. Okay. Yeah, they traveled. They got booked and everything. Yeah. Um, and they kind of fell into it in all honesty. Um, uh, it was probably Thurston. I think probably like Thurston backed out of a show at a theater mm-hmm. and um, uh, Jack Baker, Dr. Silkini and his brother happened to be there and they were just like, you know, hey, we need someone to go on. You you know, you go do the Midnight Spook Show and that's kind of how they uh, actually started it. What, what area are we talking about? Um, they were all over. Oh, they were all over. That part, I don't know. Um, yeah, he toured all over America. He probably made more money during his time, he made more money doing spook shows than anybody else and probably did spook shows longer than anybody. Um, at the so, be- we're, so we're talking from like the silent era? Yeah. So uh, 19, uh, yeah, late, uh, mid 1930s. Um, and he went all the way into the 1970s. I remember my dad telling me um, <clears throat> he went to a couple of spook shows, like midnight screenings of like the blob or like, you know, I Good was fun. a teenage werewolf and it was always like the gags in the audience and like they had the live plants. Uh-huh. Or like there was like the waiver, like if you passed out or, <laughs> you know, and there was always like the, the lights would go on. Someone would scream. There'd be like glow in dark props and they would show like, you know, the son of Frankenstein, uh-huh. whatever. And it was always like the downtown theater with the old fashioned marquee. And uh, yeah, he would tell me. And then um, he's like, yeah, we grew up watching these. I'm like, really, dad? <laughs> and then eventually he said that um, um, not not to not to jump too far ahead, that eventually Universal Studios would actually, I think, got 
uh, Lugosi involved in it. And he made, oh, yes. he made cameos, sort of like Karloff. And they started showing the big pictures, you know, Frankenstein, wow. the Bride of Frankenstein, you know, you know, Chain, Lon Chaney, uh, uh, not senior, but junior, junior, would show up. And that's when um, I guess it started fading a bit because it got a little more mainstream with the big production companies. Uh, not so much. I mean, they, um, how do I, uh, yeah, it's a long history. Like I said, everything kind of goes through phases. Um, yeah, Universal got involved. Uh, it's kind of interesting because, again, going back to uh, Dr. Silkini. Dr. Silkini, uh, he was a carny. That guy was ultimately, he was a it, carny. It, I, I, I get that <laughs> carny vibe from them. I mean, they're a traveling show. So, yes. you know, they're probably living out of buses and so forth. Oh, and, oh man. Um, like, almost every story I've heard or read about Dr. Silkini is funny in some way. He was a character. <laughs> Um, at the very beginning, he started out like some of the other guys, you know, uh, having big props and sets and stages and such. And then he eventually became known as a suitcase act. Mm. He would show up to these movie palaces that could sit thousands of people with his whole act literally in a suitcase, you know, mm. literally, you know, which, which in a way it showed, he, you know, he gave this cheap show and people walked away feeling ripped off, but they were entertained because he was a funny guy. He so it was a one man show performing out of a suitcase. He could do that. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of funny because... Even uh, he had people who were behind the scenes with him, but uh, at times, you know, like there was supposed to be like a monster appear, like, you know, he'd have like the Frankenstein monster. And in all honesty, he would just show up to a theater and there'd be, you know, a hundred kids, a thousand kids waiting to get into the Midnight Spook Show. And he would show up there and he would just walk down the line of people waiting to get in. He'd find a tall teenage boy, <laughs> walk up to him. Yes. And he'd say, hey, I'm Dr. Silkini. You want to be part of the show? He'd bring him backstage, put a fake rubber Frankenstein mask on him, and say, you're going to be the Frankenstein monster tonight. If I was that kid, <laughs> that's okay. I would I would, I would, never forget that. I just... I, yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah. Um, and, and you were bringing up Lugosi. Lugosi, uh, he got involved in it late, though. Mm-hmm. He got involved in it late. Uh, he was with another uh, big-name spook show guy. He's probably my favorite spook show guy, uh, Bill Neff. Um, whereas Dr. Silkini gave cheap shows and, you know, people left the show kind of feeling ripped off. Bill Neff always gave great shows. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he showed up with a crew of people. It was well rehearsed. He had... So it was more of a, a bigger production then. Oh, absolutely. Okay. He had beautiful women working for him. He, wa- his, um, Dr. Silkini, I think like, you know, I imagine like if they made a, a film about Dr. Silkini's life, it would be kind of like a madcap comedy in some way, you know? Okay, yeah. There's just so many weird stories about the guy. Bill Neff, on the other hand, was a lot more of a drama story. You know, he um, so it was more very theatrical performance, more more depth as far as details, more immersion. Was there a lot of immersion? Was there plants in the crowd? Um, as far as plants, no, okay. no. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past him. He was a magician. You know, magicians do what you got to do. Right. Uh, but um, he it was it was a lot more well rehearsed. He definitely he still used a lot of comedy, but it was just it was way more polished. Um, uh, this, this kind of gets to something about Dr. Silkini. There's a guy uh, named uh, Roy Houston who worked with both of them. He was b- best friends with Bill Neff, and he was supposed to take over. Bill Neff's show was called The Madhouse of Mystery, and during later in his career, he was going to retire, and he was going to give it to Roy Houston, and Roy Houston um, was going to become the new you know, Madhouse of Mystery Ghostmaster, but it never happened for kind of unknown reasons. And... Um, but uh, uh, he eventually stopped working with Bill Neff and he started working for Dr. Silkini. And Dr. Silkini and Bill Neff, they hated each other. 
They, hate, they were enemies. These guys, uh, there was, I'm serious, like, uh, again, think about carnies. A lot of these guys, some of them wanted to be great performers. Other guys were carnies. And other guys and were hacks. They were hacks. They stole. They were gangsters. They Some of them would just do as little as they could, make the money, and leave. You so know? they were fully aware of each other. Like, hey, this guy's a hack. This guy's. So there was obviously tension amongst yeah. amongst these performers because of these, these, what would you consider them just like, like if I were to like, let's say if I wanted to become an enthusiast or like with you, how would you like, you know, like the carny, okay, I'm the guy that runs the rides. Like how, how would you categorize these, these guys to perform the spook shows? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, 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 uh I just uh, performers. Uh, I mean, um, con men. <laughs> Some of them, honestly, con, yeah, they're con, they're, they're connies. Some yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, we were talking about this a little earlier. There's that movie uh, Fun House. Yes, you know Fun House, and there's a there's a scene in there that again um, I was into spook shows before I ever knew about spook shows, and there's a little scene in there that's very spook show related, where there's like a Dracula magician guy, you know, and he's in a tent, and uh, he's got a plant in the audience, and ends up being his daughter and stuff. I'm, I hope I'm not ruining it for people who haven't listened or seen it. <laughs> you should go check it out. Um, imagine that kind of stuff. You know, some of that stuff was actually done, you know. Um, so it was definitely like tension or just uh, lack of respect because some guys were formers and some guys were just hacks. Some guys, yeah, they were just out there because they were making a lot of money. Again, you got to think about some of the time that this was going on. Uh, they These... They didn't perform like you know. Nowadays we got AMC theaters where you fit a couple hundred people in a theater. Uh-huh. Back then it was movie palaces. You fit, you know, you used to sit, you know, two thousand, three thousand people. And uh, the big money a lot of times was in like the rural areas where there was nothing to do. You know, imagine that you're a 14, 15 year old boy. You live in you know a farmland in Texas. All of a sudden there's going to be this midnight show where there's going to be monsters and women are going to scream and they're going to show a horror movie. So it's, it's like the, it's the talk of the town because there's nothing to do. Yeah. There's nothing to do and again it gives you an excuse to go out with your girlfriend your boyfriend your friends you know you get to be, be out all night uh it was a party i have a dvd i'm gonna loan you after we're done here and he's he's actually seen the movie uh, it's an old uh ray what's, his, what's the, the author's name ray not oh, ray brad ray uh oh. something wicked this way comes oh okay it's an old disney movie and what it is it's midtime you midtown usa two best friends and this dark carnival comes into town at midnight and at and, and midnight, and uh, they just set up out of nowhere. And um, what was the guy's name? The main character, the kid, uh, the uh, the, 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 the ringmaster, the ringmaster, oh, Mister Dark, Mr. Dark, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's an old Disney movie, but it's a very it's it's based on a novel. But it's that it's that Midtown USA little hole in the wall yeah, town, just feel. Main Street, and this this dark carnival comes into town, and just they set up overnight. But there's something dark about. It. I'm gonna let you borrow the DVD. But what you're describing, that's what it sounds like, and it's based what in 1930. It's, yeah, yeah, it's about yeah, the same Yeah, Something era. Wicked This yeah. Way Comes. Pretty cool movie. I know of the movie. I never watched it. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you got to imagine, they were making tons of money, even though they were charging, you know, like uh, 10 cents a seat, you know, they still right. How made, dare they? They still cleaned up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so you shake my fist at them, you know. And then, yeah, like you were saying before, all the gimmicks and stuff they would give away, you know, uh, some, I have some of them too, you know, uh, the, uh, the faint cards, which was fantastic. You know, they, they'd give you like a card as you're walking in. We're going to give you a faint card because this show is going to be so scary if you faint Fill out your information on here so that we know where to drop you off after the show. You know, like, <laughs> I, I saw one one card that was uh, a voucher that was given to a certain spook show that if you fainted, it was a guaranteed ticket to come back to the next show. To the next show. Yeah. So yeah. 
That's, that's um, such a cool gag. They gave away all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, I play with the idea, too, of a couple ideas. I'm not giving them away yet because, uh, yeah, uh, we're still in a lockdown right now. So, unfortunately, my show is kind of on hold. But, uh, yeah, I, I take inspiration from a lot of that stuff. I got, an, I got a crazy idea. Okay. So, once things, once things get back to normal, we're going to put something together. And we're going to go back to the Frida. I know where this is going. We're gonna do a a our own version of the spook show and have a um, uh, uh, a night screening of something. So we'll figure something. I love it. it there, we have the space. Yeah. And we we put a Santa house on a stage a year ago. So why can't we do a spook show? Yeah. I love it. Well, we'll I figure. We'll figure. Awesome. We'll figure I absolutely love, love it. Love it. Yeah. And I want to kind of bring up to a little plug. Um, a lot of the old guys, you know, they uh, they always featured a monster, you know, uh, Dr. Silkini. And it was kind of interesting, too. It's a funny story about uh, Frankenstein. Um, he didn't have permission about uh, using Frankenstein. This is kind of a funny story about Dr. Silkini. He stole, you know, uh, he, um, he didn't have permission to use the image of Frankenstein from Universal Monsters. And he put it in campaign commercials and in ads and stuff. And he got in trouble. Uh, apparently, Universal Studios, he came out to L.A. one time, did a show. And Universal Studios got their lawyers mad and, you know, sent him his way. Yeah. It was called the Frankenstein monster. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, what do you call it? A young Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) What knockers, you know? (laughs) Well, thank you, Doctor. Well, thank you. (laughs) Walk this way. (laughs) I'm kind of curious about a lot of these old mystics. I noticed that they tend to go with, like, these really exotic names is there like a specific part of the world that they all tended to kind of gravitate towards because it seems like at the very yeah the very beginning yeah it was the far east you it, know it was the mysteries of the far east yeah that's kind know? of what i was the uh eating. what's the oh man i forgot uh the indian rope trick you know the indian rope yeah where you'd go right. up in the sky you could climb it and everything yeah it was uh the mysteries of the far east and the orient Mm-hmm. Interesting. They always had the coolest names, and they were dressed so dapper. Sometimes, just I, I, I it's a bad reference. The movie, The Illusionist, uh-huh. with um, it was Norton, just, yeah, and then um, Hugh Grant. And, and, no, no, yes. uh, it's, uh, no, that's the Prestige. Oh, oh, that's Prestige. Well, it's the same damn. the Christian Bale one. Yeah, yeah no, that's the other one. Yeah, see, yeah. you know what? When I was talking before about like um. You know, if we made movies of each one of them, like, you know, Dr. Silkini would be a comedy, Bill Neff would be a drama. That's actually where I kind of think about, you know, like, uh, like maybe Dr. Silkini would be the Christian Bale character and Bill Neff would be more like the Hugh Jackman character where he was like really trying to do really something trying amazing. Really amazing. Yeah. Okay. And it just always kept slipping away from him, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing with Draculus, you know, is kind of a sad thing. Um, uh, you know, Bill Lugosi getting involved. It sounds so amazing. A midnight spook show and Dracula. Mm-hmm. Bella Lugosi himself is going to be on stage. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, it was at the time when he started getting into opium. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, uh, I, what I heard by the time he actually did the film Dracula in 1930, whatever, he performed as Dracula, Dracula, excuse me, uh, on theater like over yeah. a thousand times. So like, he was yeah. over the performance, well, over the, the character. So apparently he was contracted to have all these appearances throughout the years through Universal and just wasn't, I guess, his cup of tea anymore. Yeah it, yeah, it kind of slipped away. You know, Hollywood wasn't calling him for roles anymore. He was getting older. You know, he wanted to keep working. And uh, Bill Neff approached him about doing the shows. And unfortunately, yeah, this is later in his career. He was starting to get involved in opium. And uh, Bill Neff had his own demons. You know, he was uh, he became an alcoholic. So uh, Bill Neff was able to hold it together. He was still able to go out there, you know, 
drinking and kind of a little wasted and hold it together, but Dracula, or uh, Bella, I should say, uh, couldn't do it. Like, at the very beginning, apparently, it went great, but then at the end, he was starting to just, like, kind of slur and would miss his cues, and, and literally, uh, after a while, uh, Bella would just come out kind of say something to the audience and then he'd go back to the back of the stage and sit on a throne for the whole rest of the show and just watch it. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So he did his quick little cameo and then just, okay. And that was it, yeah. And it fell apart real quick. Like, less than a year it was done. You know, he was out of it. Um, they tried to give him his own spook show. He was actually doing his own spook mm-hmm. shows for a little bit, but again, didn't last long. He couldn't hold it together, so. Mm-hmm. I imagine, too, like, someone asked me uh, what they imagine a, a Bella Lugosi spook show would be like. And it's just like... Uh, from what I know about the guy, I don't think he was able to really ad lib or such too much. You know, he stared at them intensely with amazing hair. I mean, the children on the night. Uh, you do the voice. <laughs> Come here. That's, like, That's a trick. I, I totally imagine like it would have. The only way it could really work is if everyone else on stage, you know, the 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 pretty woman who's supposed to be hypnotized by him and like the little Igor character did most of the work for him. He just kind of stood there instead and said lines. That's the only way it yeah. could really work. I mean, I mean I, I'm I, sorry, go ahead. I, no, I just, I kind of got to wonder what prime Bella Lugosi show would have been like compared yeah. to that. Cause it, it probably could have worked if you gave him something that was just already kind of preset without a lot of ad libbing necessary. Right. He could have done it. But at the same time, prime Bella Lugosi, like he was still kind of learning English at that time. Yeah. So it probably wouldn't have worked, but it's still kind of interesting. I mean, if, if you about. think about Lugosi's old movies, like, you know, white zombie or even, um, the, the small part he had in, um, the Wolfman, a uh, very, very limited dialogue. And it was more of his delivery. I think this mm-hmm. is, this is the serious right now. It was always like the very, the very, uh, dramatic, uh, facial feature, um, Sounds like me as a shitty scare actor. The the the, the facial expressions mm-hmm. and the delivery, the buildup, because he he had very limited dialogue again, because English was a second language. You look at Dracula; it just a lot of it was his gaze or his pose, mm-hmm. and maybe right. what a few not one liners, but like very fragmented sentences. So, if they you know their, their attempt at giving him a spook show, maybe it would have been more of like him appearing, and there'd be some type of filler in between the gaps or so forth, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a little video. If you go on YouTube and uh, search a little bit, you can see kind of a little bit of a of an idea of what it would have been like. It was a TV appearance, if I remember right. Um, so it might have been like more well produced and than it would have been on stage. I'm very sure. But oh man, it, I, again, if they would have just like given him the lines, not had him like interact with the audience, like not call anybody up on stage to do something, like it could have been pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, usually you give somebody like that, like a partner who kind of actually ends up being the one that holds the reins. Doing the work, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably usually the best way to go about it. So I'm thinking we're going to take a quick little break. Um, if not, I'm going to keep geeking out on what you guys are talking about. It's, so, it's, it's, sounds so, good. So. Um, this is episode 12 with uh, The Mind of Robert and Minji Speaks of the Creepcast. We're going to come back and geek out more about some spook shows and some other stuff. And we're going to talk about your uh, your performances and influences as well. And we'll be right back. Don't you dare try to escape. The Creepcast with Rick Creeper shall return. 
What's going on, everybody? This is Rick Creeper 11 from the Creepcast podcast. Yeah, we're going to talk about zombie donuts in the beautiful city of Fullerton, California. Hey, guys, it's Christmas time. I don't know about you guys. I already decorated my apartment. I'm sitting next to my fake tree and I got the, the tacky tree, uh, lights everywhere and so forth. More importantly, zombie donuts has done it again. They brought back some signature donuts and as well as some seasonal donuts. So let's talk about some of the seasonal stuff they're doing, man. They got some cool merch. If you guys are looking for Christmas presents, they got coffee mugs, tumblers, I believe t-shirts uh, as well. Jeez, I'm butchering that. T-shirts from Tino Evil. If you know Tino Evil, they're good quality shirts. I got a couple myself. But the cool signature Christmas donuts they have, they have the Jack Skeleton from the Nightmare Before Christmas, and also they have, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. Jeez, I'm the hill. They got a Grinch donut, and one of their coffees, which I like, is the peppermint mocha blend, which they could do in hot and cold. You're looking for a cool present for somebody? Get them a t-shirt. Get them a coffee mug. Get a dozen donuts from the next function you're going to go to in order. For yourself, splurge. It's the holidays. But more importantly, the Gonzalez family has owned and operated Zombie Donuts since 2014. We got to support small businesses. Support your community. Go check it out. Go get a dozen donuts. Tell them a Rick Creeper 11 from the Creepcast podcast sent you. Check it out. Trust me, you'll love them. One of my favorite ones is the Bleeding Heart Donut, Death by Chocolate. And yes, I like the vegan donuts as well. They got some really cool vegan donuts too. So guys, if you haven't been, do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Go say hi. Say hi to the Gonzalez's family. Tell them Rick sent you from the Creepcast and get yourself some donuts. Zombie Donuts, downtown Fullerton, California. Support small businesses. Happy holidays, everyone, and Merry Christmas. <laughs> Where do you think you're going? There is no escape from the Creepcast with Rick Creeper. <laughs> Alrighty, we're back at it. Episode 12 of the Creepcast. Uh, once again, I'm here with the mind of Robert, spook show enthusiast and Ghostmaster. And my special co-host, excuse me, I always butcher everything. My special co-host, uh, Manuel Manjavar, Menji Speaks, YouTuber and voiceover artist extraordinaire. Just don't butcher me, please, okay? Uh, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Um, I do have an announcement, actually. Oh, God. So, obviously, uh, Zombie Donuts in beautiful downtown Fullerton, California has been sponsored the podcast. I actually required a secondary sponsorship. Oh. So, <clears throat> we're actually going to debut that sponsorship today. Oh my. So, um, yeah, so I already cut an ad for them. I'm really proud of this. I'm surprised, uh, pretty big corporation. They're actually international. So, um, let's take a look. In the heart of Baja California, Mexico, lies a hidden gem, a desert oasis known as Manjavar Natural Springs Resort. Come to Manjavar. Experience fine dining, five-star massages, natural springs and saunas. Book your oasis today. What are you waiting for? The hidden gem that lies in Baja California, Mexico, known as Manjavar. Book your getaway. Manjavar. 
You gotta I'll, love that guitar. I'll, I'll have you know that ever since COVID struck, like the the quality of massages have gone down to three and a half stars. So well, I just want to let people know that before. Well, keep in mind this is in Baja California, this is true. Mexico. Mexico. I kept waiting for like that guitar to just like. <laughs> so, so obviously it's a fake ad, you know. And Manjavar is actually Emmanuel's last name. We always have this running joke where, I guess, a bunch of telemarketers were butchering your last name. They're. <laughs> There I mean, it's, yeah, anybody in my family will tell you that our last name has been mispronounced more ways than you can count. For. <laughs> so it was always a running joke. I'm like, that's like the coolest name. Like, it sounds like a natural springs resort. <laughs> it's, it's the funniest Manjavar. thing because I, I get that all the time as well. Like, I, I get both. I get people screwing up my last name and then I get other people who know my last name. And they're like, oh, my God, that's the coolest last name in the world. When I was in uh, when I was in Iraq, um, I had this uh, sergeant with me. And that was like his thing. Anytime, like he walked into a room and I was there, or I walked into a room, and he, he had was to there, say, it. he would be like, "Manjavar!" Like every time. I'm sure if I saw that guy now, like it's probably the first thing that would come out of his mouth. It sounds like he's like a, a bullfighter from like, uh, from like Valencia in Spain or something. <laughs> I, when I when I did I, I did the ad, and I'm like, you know what? I, I picture like Spanish classical guitar, and I used the app. Uh, was it a? Uh, What's the app I use for music? Uh, Epidemic oh, Sound. Epidemic Sound, yeah. And I just put Spanish classical in like thousands lists, and I just went through every single one. I'm like, this is it. I picture myself. <laughs> I picture myself. I found it. I, I'm like, <laughs> I, I have discovered the ad. And just, I just, I couldn't. I always, I had, I told uh, Krista, the girlfriend, I was like, I couldn't contain myself. I'm like, I cannot fucking wait for this Sunday to, to do this podcast. It's the music. It's just. I feel like that's the only reason I'm here is because you want to play this. <laughs> how, how do you not laugh at this? Mexico lies a hidden gem, a desert oasis known as Manjavar Natural Springs. How do you not laugh at that? Manjavar. I don't think anybody could see me. I was laughing the whole time. As soon as you said I had a new ad, I was like, he I, did it. I had no poker face. I'm like, there's a new ad. <laughs> Oh, but we're here for for Robert. So let's, let's, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah of here, course, for, of course. I was just gonna, I was just gonna add something like uh, that was my first clue that it must be a joke. How I saw Minji react. I'm like, okay, <laughs> just, this, like, there's some kind of inside joke here. The, the, as soon as the guitars went, I started. Well, well I tried, I tried to distract him with. I got the new cool, you know, the spooky sounds. Uh, I was wondering why you didn't go all the way up too. <laughs> I'm like, like, he pushed the bottom buttons, but not, one of the top ones. Not the red one. Not never the wet one. <laughs> you know, these are kind of cool. So. Yeah, so I've been, there, there's an interactive soundboard on here I've been, inter, you know, messing with. So, yeah. So, anyway, so so Robert. Yes, we forgot about Robert. Sorry. This is fun. <laughs> no, no, you guys just keep going. All right. I'm just right, enjoying right. this. Yeah, so there's always, like, there's always this running story, like, joke, like, you know, this his last name. I was texting him, like, Manjavar, and he's just like, what's with you in this? I'm like, I'm just bored. bored. <laughs> <laughs> was, was the guitars like... Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you went through such links to make that it was a two-minute commercial i had to edit it down hey you know most people won't even bother to give me a phone call to say hi so. it, was, it was like fine dining and like in like massages massages seriously and like, like hot baths and like mineral baths it was, that was I, a good what almost minute and a half commercial um, I, I think so yeah yeah the guitar just it, it just brought it all together yes, totally yes yeah, beautiful i was like i pictured vega from like uh another river like vega from street, <laughs> street fighter, fighter. yeah, yeah. All right, so Robert, let's get back to Robert. How you um, doing, sir? How you doing? So when did you discover um, the spook shows? Um, 
Okay, that's gonna be a, kind of a hard, that's always a hard question for me. In my personal history with spook shows, it's always a hard question, because I've said this before, I was into spook shows before I knew what spook shows were, you know, because, okay. um, you know, so much about them, their aesthetics, the artwork, the ads, they show up in other places, you know, uh, Rob Zombie. Some people, you know, you hear spook shows and they think of Rob Zombie, you know, mm. um, but I would say, I'd say, like, Part of the part of the thing that really started a lot of my love and passion uh, was a couple of movies came out around the same time, and there was a, it was Ed Wood, Tim Burton's Ed Wood, okay, and then uh, Matinee with uh, John Goodman. Was it Joe Dante made that movie? Um, both of them, you know, I, I look back at them now. They had a big influence. Again, the artwork, the aesthetics. There was something about them. The the, the B movies and these uh, midnight shows and parties that basically happen in theaters. So there was something about it that kind of hinted, hinted to me that these things used to happen. And then from there, I was into, you know, um, like something weird video. I started watching a bunch of those, you know, cheesy uh, cult movies. And there'd be like little ads and commercials. And, and there was one time I saw a uh, old campaign commercial for, uh, for one of the, the best known spook show guys, uh, Philip Morris. Uh, he called himself Dr. Evil. Uh, he made a commercial, you know, the Dr. Evil and his terrors of the unknown. And, you know, it made these outlandish, you know, promises, you know, Dr. Evil and the terrors of the unknown. <laughs> the grave, you know, theaters become a graveyard. See uh, monsters roam through the theaters. And this was actual commercials, like on TV? Uh, no, you would see them, like, during the uh, during the theater. You know, you go oh, to see okay, a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you go see a movie and, like, that theater was going to book Dr. Evil to show up, you know, that Saturday or a couple weeks away. And it was like, show up here, you know, buy the theaters, you know, tickets available now. And, uh, you know, as a teenager, I'd watch that very young, like 13 years old or something. I'd watch that. And it was like, you know, uh, um, he was promising that an actual dead body would be given away. You know, <laughs> I remember that. Ah, you know about that. Okay. That, yeah. That rung a bell. Yeah. Okay. A dead body. He would give away a dead body and, you know, live snakes would roam through the theaters and all these things. And again, as a teenager, I watched and I was like, how is this possible? Like, how did this even happen? Didn't the police shut this down? <laughs> this guy must be locked up in a in a in an insane asylum somewhere, you know. Yeah. And it, and um, one of my friends who uh, who's working on a documentary, a new documentary about them, I told him about this, and he was like, you know, he was like, oh, you were exactly the audience he was trying to reach at that time, you know, because uh, that was the whole point to grab your attention. It was the carnival barker, you know, hurry, hurry, ladies and gentlemen, come and see the crazy show, you know. That was that was it. That was hmm. how they did it, and. Um, I don't know. A lot of people are in on the gag now. If you don't know what the dead body is, do do your your listeners want to know what the dead body was? I'll see why not. Yeah, it was a chicken. Ah, okay. He didn't say what kind of dead body. You get it. Okay. You get it. Yeah. So there'd be uh, raffles where you'd give away an actual uh, an actual dead body, and yeah, it was a dead chicken. You know, you'd go home, and it was always the cheapest chicken you can get, whatever for a dollar or something. You know. Uh, and it just it helped to uh, create buzz and and get people's butts in the seats. And you made a bunch of promises, and then you know again you did the show and you left town. Um, oh wow! Made yeah. his money and took off then. Exactly. Yeah. So again, uh, going back, that's kind of like my beginning influences. I knew they existed, but I just didn't understand anything about them. Mm -hmm. And then um, you know uh, I was someone who was into like gothic culture, gothic music. I loved old classic horror movies, Dracula, Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon. So um, anything from like Universal Monsters or like uh, the Castle films, maybe? Uh, not so much the Castle films. The Universal, definitely. Okay. Um, yeah, Ed Wood, of course, you know, because of the Ed Wood movie, you know, uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space and all that stuff. It became a big influence. 
And so I, I became like really into like gothic culture and things, and um, and I was also actually you know what I'm a backup too because I think there was something I saw very young that also influenced me and has a lot to do with spook shows. It was a David Copperfield uh, TV performance. He did this one uh, TV special where he apparently had a uh, part of a building that was haunted. And there were spirits inside, you know, and it was like supposed to be like the top of this Victorian mansion where uh, spirit seances were supposed to happen. And um, I was bringing up the Davenport brothers before. This was David Copperfield's version of a spirit cabinet. Um, if you can, again, YouTube it. Uh, look up for uh, David Copperfield, a spirit cabinet. It's an amazing thing where he, he apparently opens it up and he takes a microphone and he's you know moving it around the cabinet and you can hear you know uh, disembodied voices whispering inside and he closes it up and things start to uh, happen inside. He's tied up and all these incredible things happen and ghosts fly through the audience. So I saw that as a kid and that was a big influence. I remember seeing a TV uh, special he did, David Copperfield, The Magician where he actually performed a card trick on, on the the on the on television like on on the episode or that the um, the special where the the viewers at home were involved mm-hmm. and i think he he had you hold up the card to the television screen he's like oh that's the card and it's funny that i bring that up because you're going to perform a card trick for us on the podcast as well yes sir everyone at home listen in so everyone listening to this episode, if you don't have a uh, just regular playing cards or a tarot, could, could you do tarot cards as well? You can absolutely use tarot cards. In fact, if you're going to use tarot cards or anything, in fact, if you're listening to this podcast during the daytime, I invite you to come back at nighttime. Make it dim in the room. Maybe put on some spooky music in the background. We're going to take part in something a little creepy. Uh, all you'll need is a small packet of cards. Uh, seven or eight cards is perfect. If you have less, only four or five cards that will work. They could be playing cards, tarot cards, or if you have a, a game board around and you, know, you could use cards from the game. Uh, just a small amount of cards. Keep them handy. So if you guys want, you could pause the episode, get yourself the cards. And um, what exactly are we going to be performing? This is going to be called The Spell of Baphomet. There we go. So we're going to be performing this in a bit. And uh, so you guys make sure you have a set of cards. You can always come back to the episode, pause it. And we'll definitely, this is going to be interactive with the people at home. Just don't do this while you're driving. I know people say, drive while they're driving. So we're driving. You've been warned. You've been warned. <laughs> oh my. So not to cut you off. So yeah, so I saw in um, a special he did where he performed a trick. Um, and then it was somehow interactive with the, with the viewers at home. So. Yes, it was. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a big uh, influence, too. So, yeah, again, um, you know, I've been talking about uh, a lot of magicians and such. So, yeah, uh, the old spook show Ghostmasters, you know, ultimately they were magicians. And that's why in a lot of ways uh, spook shows never really went away. They they died out of popularity, but they never really went away. There was always some magician, some illusionist somewhere doing a one-off spook show. But it was like, you know, Halloween time. I'm going to do a Halloween show at the circus or you know uh, the carnival uh, for our church uh, for the high school in the area you know they they showed up here and there but they definitely fell out of popularity so yeah that was another thing like i uh, i became a magician i was performing magic and mentalism freelance on the side here and there um and then uh during halloween time i was uh you know i, I was a home haunter so uh that's where the uh, the whole title the haunted house of the ghouls started um you know doing a walkthrough maze um, had a lot of fun doing that, and there were two different worlds that I did see a connection, but I never really put it together until uh, years later. Years later, a mentor of mine uh, kind of pointed me in the direction of some old uh, illusion books, 
and they had some secrets of the old spook show and I just went crazy. Hmm. I was like, oh my God, this is it? This is what they did? You know, and um, and like before it, I had already known about kind of a seance theater, uh-huh. I guess we could call it, you know, where you just gather around and it's done for fun. It's not so much done seriously trying to contact the other side. Um, maybe things happen honestly during it, but, you know, it was more done for fun. More theatrical. Yeah, it was a form of magic known as bizarre or bizarrist. Um, and so I was very familiar with that. And when I uh, found out about this, I was like, I was totally amazed. I was like, this is it. This is what happened in spook shows. And what, what, what I was exposed to at first was, uh, what was called, uh, the dark seance or the blackout. This is at the end of the show, usually where the whole theater goes dark and skeletons and ghosts and things, uh, fly around the room where you feel things touch you in the dark. And again, cause I was still kind of brand new. I thought that was the entire spook show. I thought mm-hmm. the entire spook show was like 45 minutes in the dark, you know. Um, okay. And then later on, I come to find out, actually, no, it was more like, you know, five minutes at the end of the show. Um, and so so what happened was I actually mixed my home haunt with the spook show. Um, uh, not to get off track, but back in 2011, I did something that was a lot more closer to a spook show. I just didn't know to call it a spook show. After I understood what happened in them and the dark seance thing... Uh, I think it was 2016, I did my first home haunt spook show. Um, and part of it came out of necessity, and part of it was because I was kind of tired with the maze thing. Okay. Um, how, where, it, how old were you when you started doing those? What was that? Uh, the, the home haunt or... Just the home haunts in general. Oh, yeah. boy. Uh, that was, I was still living at mom's house when I started decorating and everything. I was probably like my early 20s, probably like 22 or something, and I started decorating. I moved out to my own little place. Uh, I was probably 25, 26 or so. Yeah, it's, uh, the home haunt has been going on for about 13 years. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Yeah, it's been going on for about 13 years. And then, yeah, 2016 is when I did the first home haunt spook show. And So you incorporated both worlds then? Yeah, I did. Um, and it was a total, you know, it was different because, you know, again, I wasn't bringing people into a maze. I basically created this big black room where the spook show was going to be done. And I brought in people about 10 to 12 at a time. They sat down in the dark. I would come out and do a little introduction and call upon the spirits, you know, uh, saying that this is Halloween. And tonight, you know, I wrote a little something special. And I read this, like, kind of invocation where I, you know, said, uh, tonight is all Hallow's Eve. On Halloween, ghosts, race, vampires, and werewolves have dominion and can walk the earth. We invite them all here. You know, I did some kind of introduction like that. Okay. Yeah, and then there'd be like this kind of like long pause, and then had to be like, well, I guess nothing is happening, and then poosh, a lightning strike, you know, lightning would strike, and all the the whole room would go dark, and music and things would start to uh, start to happen, sort of like the Etienne thing I was talking about earlier, and then uh, things kind of change tone very quickly. It'd be very spooky, and then all of a sudden there'd be a skeleton coming out and singing the Headless Horseman, the Disneyland, you know, or Disney, <laughs> you know, film, uh, the Headless Horseman, a skeleton Which, would come out and start singing and dancing. And, okay. Yeah. And so, you, so you started doing your own spook shows just at your house and, and with the incorporation of a, uh, of a home haunt then? Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, that was um, um, like performing magic and mentalism. I had a problem with it in that I kind of saw that that field of doing gigs as like um, I put it as I go to you you know mm. you're doing an event I go to your event you have a, a kid's birthday party I go to your party you know you're doing a corporate event I go to your corporate event the home haunt or any kind of haunted attraction really is you come to me 
I'm throwing an event. I have this thing here and you're going to come to me. Mm-hmm. And so Halloween was perfect because the audiences just naturally came to you. And so that year I did the the first, you know, Home Haunt Spook Show and it killed. It was great. Uh, you know, the, the previous year, I believe it was a Saturday and honestly our walkthrough was dead. You know, hardly anyone was showing up. And then that year it was like a leap year. It was a Monday and we just killed it. I mean, they were just, it was nonstop people waiting to get in and they were texting other people and telling them to come out. So I was like, I found something here, you know, and this is, and it was, I had a brand new passion and love for it. And so it just kept growing from there. Yeah, that's great. That's you know, cool. I was going to say like, um, <clears throat> because I, I got to check out your show last year. Thank you. And, and uh, yeah, I, my, I, was, I was supposed to make it that day. Something happened. Yeah. yeah. You stood me up. I, um, I, I, I stood him up. It was a mandate. <laughs> yeah. um, but again, like, you know, I knew of a, sp- I didn't know they were called spook shows, but I knew that these like seance shows and things, they existed, but it's like, you know, yeah, it's 2019. Who's doing these anymore? And I went and you pulled in quite the crowd. It was, I think there were some people had to stand. Like there were so many people. Like we I had to bring in, ex- it was, um, there, you yeah. needed some extra chairs or something. Yeah, yeah. We had to bring in some extra chairs. That was awesome. Yeah. No, it was, it was amazing to see that there's just, there's so many people that still have uh, an interest in this kind of stuff and a curiosity. Um, to do it and you know it's like you did it where you did it and and you know again it's it seems like something that in this day and age where everybody's very cynical um and you know anything from the olden days like ah crappy um but they showed up and like not just like you know like people like couples and stuff like people were bringing their families people were bringing their kids it was it was pretty shocking like i was one of the few people that was there alone <laughs> thanks <Rick. laughs> sorry about that that was that was something that i i loved about it um when i again going back to like the home haunt um when i did mazes you know at a lot of haunted attractions i think when i look around i see uh What's, what's the target market? You know, it's like teenagers, people in their 20s and their 30s. Mm-hmm. The older people are like, oh, that's for the kids. Let the kids go do it. And then the, a lot of times the kids are, you know, they're too scared to go in. This, when I started doing them, I saw them a lot more like a Tim Burton film in that, you know, it appealed to a broader range of people. Like, you know, the little kids could come so in. Definitely a, a different uh, demographic. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, the little kids could come in. And, you know, there were kids who got scared during the home haunt and even during... Um, uh, the last show that you know you showed up at Menji, um, I had some people coming to me say like, "Oh, my grandkid was you know hiding behind the chair because he was so scared of the dark." You know, <laughs> uh, but it, it was something that appealed to a broader range of people. I thought people who were older were able to come and enjoy it for the theater of it. People who were younger, you know, because it was something kind of new and novel and still spooky, and then the kids still loved it. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, that's that's something I really liked about it. Yeah, especially for those older people, I'm sure, because a lot of them either had probably gone to one in their youth, or maybe their parents had gone to one and told them what it was like so like there's something that kind of carries on through the generations that like oh this is this is like a tradition almost yes yeah the fact that you're you're keeping this art alive with it it's it shows how passionate you are thank you and it's just so cool and i think that's how i discovered it on instagram i'm like this dude is like into not only collecting the artwork the original artwork but he's performing as well mm-hmm. and you perform in various locations and you actually have a, a character that you've developed Ah. So let's let's speak about your character uh, Grimsby that you've developed. Yes, um, Grimsby Grimsdyke. Um, he's he's his own person. I mean, it's sort of strange. Um, again, he started as he was going to be a character for the maze, and he, yes, he was. He was a character in the maze. He was going to be a greeter. Um, he came about on his own. Uh, I had ideas and such that you know I wanted you know this skeleton character, of course. 
once everything came together, he emerged. You know, I didn't plan anything. The name, I didn't plan. The voice, I didn't plan. The uh, the way he acts, I didn't plan. He emerges on his own. Um, when I'm putting together the show, I sometimes have ideas about like how things are going to be staged and how they're going to work out. And then once Grimsby comes out by himself, things don't work out again. You know, it, it needs to be reworked. You know, it's like, oh, it's no, no. You know, Grimsby has his own say about things. Um, He's definitely, he's a character. I, my mom loves him. <laughs> my mom really loves him. Uh, she, I don't know how I really feel about this. This is her way of kind of describing him. But she almost put him like Michael Jackson. I know. He, <laughs> so I reposted the video of, of, of him <clears throat> talking about the, the history of uh, uh, jack-o'-lanterns. Uh-huh. And everybody loved it. Everyone was like, I, there was like over 500 views of him. Well, Jesus, that's more than my, my stuff gets. So I'm like, what the hell? But um, he's he seems he's very he's he's a performer. He definitely has a a, a presence and just uh very pro, uh I guess very proper with his pronunciation. It just yes. uh, mm-hmm. I, I dug it. Even the outfit's cool. And then there's a little video of you like performing and like you were like throwing a snake into the the screen and so forth. But uh, I, I could see him like being like the uh, as you as well as like the storyteller, like in front mm-hmm. of like a facade of the maze totally. or like in a uh, you know uh, like a haunted attraction and so forth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's been around for a long time. He's got a, a kind of a mysterious past. Um, the only thing we really know too much about his past is that he was executed. Uh, he was uh, strangled um, for some kind of involvement in magic and witchcraft. It's about pretty much all we know, but he's been around for a long time. Very proper. He's ultimately a good guy, but he kind of revels in things that are dark and evil, you know? Um, Sounds like a lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's it. He relates to a lot of the people in the haunt industry like that. How did you develop him? Like, what were, what were some of your influences to uh, develop this alter ego, this performer? I truly do not know. Just, I truly just... do not know. I, if anything, there's, again, going back to some of the old guys like Dr. Silkini. Um, if you look at some of the old Dr. Silkini artwork, there is, there's like some of them where, you know, you see like this skeleton guy who's like holding a sign, you know, where it's like he's holding a sign, he's pointing to it and it says ghost show, you know. So if anything, you know, that had a big influence, you know, looking at that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it. Um, the top hat, uh, like I said, it was the haunted house of the ghoul. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ghoul was also his own character. Um, uh, the ghoul was just this cheap, uh, like, $1 mask I got at a <laughs> uh, party city, I think. Um, but somehow, something about it, it was just this cheap little thing, but it fit my face perfectly. And it was just, I was able to talk, and it seemed like the mouth moved with it, and it was great. And I had long hair at the time, and so that's, like, where the top hat came from. The top hat is actually from the character I had called the ghoul. Um, yeah, so the top hat just got passed down to Grimsby and Grimsby kind of took over and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's been a favorite. Like I said, I don't know. My mom said something about compared him to uh, Michael Jackson. So I, I tried to get more at her about that and she said something Maybe about... Maybe it's a flash, like just a flashy performer and has a stage presence. I mean, She said something about like he throws you off at first. Like, his appearance throws you off. You think he's going to be oh, one way. Oh, yeah. I can see. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He throws yeah, you yeah, off yeah. one way, but then once he starts talking and you start getting like, oh, there's a different side to him. There's a, okay. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I don't Much like the whole like, Michael Jackson reference, but right, that's how she but put I it. Right, but I think the, in, whereas Grimby, Grimsby is is the performance and, and the storytelling aspect of it, I guess for Michael Jackson it would be the dancing. Like, you wouldn't expect those moves to come from that guy. Huh. Yeah, maybe that's kind of where she was leaning because when you said that, like, oh, 
Oh, can I? Yeah. And and uh, we actually, uh, you know, uh, I actually took my mom out to uh, lunch earlier today, and uh, I brought up that we were going to do this show, and uh, I brought up the whole Michael Michael Jackson thing. It's funny you got Thriller right behind you. Yeah, that, that was actually a present from the girlfriend. So I, she never knew there was a making of Thriller. Wow. And, um, <laughs> How do you not know? <laughs> um, so when I was a kid at Kmart, I went into the another old reference. I went into the video section, and they had this they had this on a continuous loop, the making of, of the video, and, and Rick Baker doing the makeup. I was terrified watching them do the makeup of Michael as, as a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think we wa- we watched the making of it like on YouTube. And then she found the VHS and bought it as a, as a gift. So it's displayed amongst, That's you cool. know, like the Dark Shadows comic and this old Ride of the Hillis Horns vinyl and uh, Snoopy as a witch. And then the Haunted <laughs> Mansion coffee mug, which it, when you heats up, the Hatbox ghost um, oh. appears in the opposite side. So, yeah whole bunch of cool stuff yeah here. a little side <laughs> it's really i was cool. actually curious like how your family felt about you getting it because i know some families you know they're they're a bit more staunch um, in certain areas like uh, supportive oh they loved it um uh mom brother sister they all love it my dad doesn't get it <laughs> he wow. uh he wanted to stick with a maze you know oh, what i mean okay. yeah he very much yeah he was a big uh part of like um i guess like you know the home haunt thing I started out when i was still living at mom's place and uh, he he came by one year when I was still decorating. You know, I was still living at mom's and I was decorating and stuff. And he loved it. And he approached me next year about going down to his place to put up a maze. You know, so he mm. was more of like a handyman construction guy. So he he knew how to put mm. up walls. He knew uh, about all that stuff. I I was more about decorating and you know how to create a scare and stuff. And he knew how to construct things. So we began work together like that. And so when I started like you know what. I don't even want to, you know, like uh, going through the hassle and the headache and the hard work of building a maze. I'm going to do a show and it's a lot less work. We could tear it down easier and stuff. Um, so I think he was kind of a little more put off by that. So, mm. he, yeah, he gets it, but he doesn't get it. Right. <laughs> it's oh, funny because okay. in, in, in the haunt industry, like with the haunt attractions, you have the creative writers. Once they come up with the vision, mm-hmm. then they have the builders, the ones that will frame out, cut the eight by four walls and so forth. And then you have guys that do both. So you having the personality and then like the influence and that knowledge of the spook shows, obviously it's going to become natural for you to become a performer. So this is why I think like, with you, you're like, yeah, I could build the haunts, but I'd rather be the storyteller. Yes. And so it's just, and, and as campy as one dimensional I am as a scare actor, I, 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 I you know, I'm, I'm out. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I, I love storytelling people. Like I said, I, I see someone who's captivated and I zone, I zone, you know, I zone in on them and like, or they're like, I catch their name and Robert, why are you doing Robert? They're like, how'd you know my name? Or, or I just, they just, I see them, they're cringing or they're just like, they're staring me in the eye and I'm like, I like the stupidest thing. I'm like, ah, ha, 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 where do you think you're going? And they're like, and I tell them the story and they're just, you know, whatever. But the fact that you're, you're definitely a storyteller and you have that influence just from the movies, from the, from the artwork. Like you say, you developed Grimsby, but possibly looking at some artwork. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, it's a bit of method acting too. I think yeah. it's a bit of method acting. Yeah, it just it just emerges. It comes out when the costume is on. Grimsby comes out. He's yeah. his own character in a lot of ways. I get it because it's you know there's Rick, there's there's you know corporate Rick and we're hey good morning how we doing happy Monday and like whatever. <laughs> there's corporate Rick in my day job. Hey, I work for I work for a big medical corporate manufacturer, and then there's the monster. You know, once I put on that armor, then it, it I totally become someone completely different. And it's it's like the frustration of life comes out of the monster, and I'm like, you know, yes. like they yell and scream at people and terrorize, and I'm just like, it's therapy. But yeah, I, I'm yeah, I think it's a, a form of method acting as well. It's yes, like, yes. 
Yeah, that's really cool. I like how you brought that whole thing up. Uh, you're an opportunist as well. I, I can call, I call that opportunism, you know, where you, you overhear someone's name. Oh, his name is Robert. Oh, and you're going to bring that up later. That's something that plays into magic and mentalism too, being an opportunist, grabbing onto that. I had someone say, I have this special effect context. They're like, I don't like the way his eyes looked. So I purposely opened my eyes and looked at them like, what did you say? And I look at them and they're like, oh, or like they don't like the teeth, the fake teeth, or they don't just, they don't like something. So I'm like, you pick up on the key notes. So it's like, I guess as a method actor, actor, excuse me, or performer, I guess it's able to uh, act on cue, mm-hmm. ad lib. So I can see you why you're more leaning towards the performance side than actual like the development and build side of it. So that's pretty cool, man. So um, you were on a panel, I remember. And it's funny because you reminded me of it. You were on a panel for Midsummer Scream back in 2018. Yes, sir. And I sat in that audience, and I had a lot of kind of couple of cocktails on me. So, <laughs> and um, who who were you up there with? Uh, I was with my friend uh, David Lucarelli and uh, David Beach, uh, also with uh, David Markham. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh my God. Um, we haven't talked in well. Jeff Markham. Uh, and he's making a documentary about uh, spook shows. Uh, but uh, David Lucarelli, he uh, is the producer and writer for the uh, Dr. Zomba uh, spook show out in Hollywood. It's uh, he, he calls it a ghost show. Um, his is a little, it's, we're the same thing, but we're uh, different flavors. Uh, his is a little bit more of like a comedy uh, play. It's more of, you know. More slapstick. Yeah, it's using, um, you know, spook shows as kind of like uh, the kickoff point for a story that's happening, you know. So it's a little bit more of a play. His is a little bit more of a play, a lot of spook show elements to it. Um, Yeah, he's a great guy, though. Uh, During the last uh, Midsummer Scream, uh, he had me uh, come out as part of the cast as well. I joined the cast as Dracula, so... I remember that. <laughs> I'm sad I missed all these. Oh, oh, man. man, 2018 was actually my first Midsummer Scream ever. Oh, shoot. Yeah. And that's how we met. No, that was 2019. No. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. You're right, it was. You're right, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. You guys, are brand new. you guys are brand new friends. You guys yeah. hit oh, it off yeah. really quick. The, the first time I met him, this guy was dressed up as a devil, talking like, Argh. I was this giant rockabilly <laughs> devil with horns and a letterman jacket. That's the picture I showed And then a later lot of on, I get this voice message like, hey, man, you did real good. This is, uh, this is Rick. I'm like, who's this stranger messaging? I'm like, I'm like hey, dude, thank, thank, thanks for me. You know, because he was the first person I really interacted with. I saw this, this dude with a cool hat, and like he had the racing stripe and a camera. And I'm like, okay, let me get into character. Because we got to the showroom floor, and I was overwhelmed. And I never done full facial feature, uh, feature prosthetics, and it just it was. I was like, okay, I'm like this dancing clown. So, so I ran into I ran into some people I saw. I'm like, hey, how's it going? I just started doing Beetlejuice one liners. Like, hey, how's it going? I see you looking at me. You know, it's just like, and I started developing this alter ego, and his name was Louis C. Fur. You know, and so and so he just became. He was like you know the handsome devil, kind of like a uh, just a chauvinistic misogynistic like just handsome devil like womanizer at the same time like campy and kind of you know, mess with you know men as well and so i see him come out with a camera and i see him like talking and he's and he's filming me i was like i gotta film this <laughs> and so and so we're so we're, we're, we're shooting this shit and then he tells me he tells me his, his youtube handle i mean and, and, uh, his instagram handle and then we came i'm like, hey man what's up i mean we started messaging and he just 
I guess he was disappointed when he met me. And he expected me to be a devil of all the time. That's what I said. No, no, no. It was just, it was just, it was like, it was like I became friends with a stranger all of a sudden one day. Like yeah. the person I met was not the person I became friends right. with. Like, and he's it's just not the guy I met five minutes ago. Yeah, like, <laughs> who is this guy messaging me? When I first met you, you were somebody else. You were somebody, you're a totally different person. But it's funny, he's been terrorized by most of my characters. And, you know, and then I just tell him, and like, have you noticed like every character sounds the same, the damn same campy voice? It's like, you know. Hey, whatever works. Mm-hmm. So, so going back to Midsummer Scream, um, I was actually um, in the crowd of that panel. I remember I was like, yeah, I was watching these guys up on the stage, you know, talking about spook shows. And you're like, oh, that was me. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, I think I messaged you through Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, it's a small world, isn't yeah, it? It's it's just, the haunt world is very small. It's just such a small community, small community, but... um. Yeah, I remember you guys were up there talking about all the spook shows. I'm like, dude, they're talking about spook shows. And my, and my buddy at times, where's spooks? I'm like, get with it. <laughs> and then I, I, I told him the kind of yeah, brief history. This is what they used to do. They used to perform like theatrical performances and they integrated into movies and they did like midnight screenings. And you guys were talking about it and everybody was up there. And I think I shot him some YouTube videos and all of that. So uh, you actually performed as uh, Grimsby at, at, at Midsummer Screen. Yes, I did. Yeah, Grimsby came out, uh, yeah, they wanted a uh, small kind of taste and sample of it. So yeah, it came out as uh, Grimsby talking about the Fox sisters and uh, what was happening with them and uh, performed a a little bit of a, I don't want, what do I want to call it? Um, I don't want to give away the name of it, so I'm going to leave it alone at that. But yeah, Grimsby came out a little bit. Um, That was a a great experience. And uh, that was actually where I first met uh, David Lucarelli, or that's where we started, you know, kind of hitting it off. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's a, a great sound guy, um, really driven, you know, great writer. And so uh, hopefully we could work together again really soon, you know, when things start, you know, opening up and getting lifted. Eventually, I, I definitely, we talk, all three of us talk about doing a potential project. Project. Let's call it a project. A project. Hello. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wanker. Um, which we incorporate all three of us uh, and so forth. Um, where else have you performed? Uh, the Halloween Club is a big help to me. I love the Halloween Club. They're out in La Mirada. It's a year-round uh, Halloween store. Uh, a lot of costumes, uh, great staff. Uh, they've been a amazing help to me. Um, the, uh, the event producer, uh, Dora, she's wonderful. Um, sh- um, she's allowed me a lot of opportunities to meet people, to uh, to. Um, showcase what I do and yeah that was, was a big help uh, see what there was a midsummer screen performances uh, there's all my home haunts uh, there was uh, as a magician there's been other places I performed at uh, casinos like uh, Pachanga oh wow uh, yeah uh, that was a small one time engagement it was cool wish it would have happened more a um, bunch of little clubs and stuff in Hollywood I'm, I could picture you as a magician what, what, what do you wear as, as the magician uh, you know what? Uh, it was very imagine Grimsby, but without the co- without the mask. <laughs> so so uh, you have the top hat? No top hat. Oh, no top on. hat. Come on. What a jib. Come on. <laughs> no top hat. Uh, what a jib. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I wanted to see the top hat. Come on. I thought there was gonna be a. Well, there is. <laughs> I just pushed the wrong button. Sorry. Uh, I love that you got the uh, the board memorized now. <laughs> Perfect. So um. You've talked about potential future projects. Uh, uh, potential future projects, actually. Uh, there's <laughs> something else that's in the works right now. Um, that's another big showcase of mine. There was a, uh, a small uh, independent um, 
uh, TV show that I've appeared on a lot. A lot of my video that you're going to see on social media and on my website actually comes from a little TV show called Horror Kung Fu Theater. Unfortunately, the uh, the host has passed away. Oh, that's uh, sad, sad Night here. Shadow. Night Shadow, he was a great guy. Uh, I loved him. He was a great guy, uh, ex-wrestler, you know, fun personality. Um, he used to bring a lot of uh, weird and kooky characters on the show, and that was another uh, great experience for me. So... Um, are these, are these available still, like on YouTube? You can see them on YouTube, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, so it's so what a, I'll do is, um, for the listeners at home, I'm going to put uh, links in the description of the podcast to your Instagram, your website, and also to the Kung Fu... What was it, what was it called? Horror again? Kung Fu Theater. Kung Fu. Okay, awesome you know, name, right? Yeah, that, wasn't, that wasn't the guy at the show, was it? The Sword Swallower guy? Uh, he appears on the show as well. Uh, oh. Yeah, that was Dave the Miracle Man Markham. Ah, yeah, yes, yes. So all that, I'll put in the link, I'll put in the description of the podcast where they can find all that. Wonderful. Yeah, so, uh, but there's a talk of a future project, um, sort of in honor of him, but something brand new. Uh, we're, we're still in the early stages, so that's really exciting. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely yeah. I, I'm definitely interested in all this, and, uh, um, I kind of want to see you perform some magic. Like, I'm, I'm intrigued now. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah, so, uh, we're going to do this now. I would like to invite everybody at home, if you have those tarot cards, if you have those playing cards, get them out now. And in fact, I brought a uh, small deck of cards here. If you gentlemen would like to participate as well. Sure. Wonderful. And again, I want to say, if any of you are listening to this during daytime, I invite you to come back and listen to this at nighttime. Make it dim in the room. Maybe put on some spooky music, burn some incense. We're going to take part in the spell of Baphomet. It's a fun little thing you could take part in at home. So here, I'm just going to give you uh, a few cards. We don't need too many for each of you. Okay. Like I said, if you have seven or eight cards at home, that's perfect. If you have less, four or five cards would be great. So I'm just going to give each of you a small packet of cards, and I'm going to take right. a few for myself. Again, guys, if, if you don't have cards on you, you can definitely pause, take note of the... Timestamp. Timestamp. Thank you, sir. That's why I have you on here, and you definitely listen to this later on. But if you do have cards, we're going to continue. Wonderful. And each one of you, just make sure. Uh, I don't want... Uh, I want this to be uh, very fair. You know, I have... Uh, I have six cards. Uh, you have how many? I have a total of six. You have six? I have seven. You have seven. So we got different numbers. You son of a bitch. Hey. <laughs> Could have been no. six, six, six. Oh. I can hear it. Like I just tossed from there. <laughs> Actually keep it because I want to make sure. You know, uh, okay. I don't want people at home to think like, oh, maybe it's because I had this number. He told me to have five cards. So because uh, this is kind of interesting. Another name for uh, a deck of cards is actually uh, the Devil's Prayer Book. Interesting. Yeah. You know, if you think about the way people hold the prayer book in church and the way gamblers hold the cards, it's very similar. Interesting. Never thought about okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Oh so this is called the Spell of Baphomet. And if again, if any of you aren't familiar with the image of Baphomet, I invite you to go ahead and Google it. You can find an image of it. He's a, a very Oof. dark character, and I'm sure people who are listening to this probably already know what Baphomet looks like. Oh, yeah. He's a goat-headed figure who's been associated with darkness and evil. And so if you're brave enough, I invite you to take part in this. Take out your small packet of cards and just mix them up so that even if you know what cards you have, you do not know what order they are in. I'm doing that with mine, Rick is doing that with his, and Menji is doing that with his. Yes, and then whenever you want, just hold the cards face down in your left hand. This is where you have decided to stop, and this is where fate has brought you. Take your other hand, lift up the small pack of cards, and look at the bottom card, and remember it. This is your lucky card. This is the card of good fortune. This is where your fate has brought you. 
Remember it, it will be important later, and put it back down in your left hand. We are now going to perform the spell of Baphomet by spelling Baphomet. So what I'd like you to do is take the top card, move it to the bottom of the packet. That represents B. We're going to continue this. The next card from the top, take it and move it to the bottom. That is A. And again, P, H, O, M, E, and finally, T. There was one last part of the spell of Baphomet. If you notice that his right hand is extended upwards towards the skies, and his left hand is extended downwards towards the earth. This is a magic symbol. It is a symbol of duality. The light, the dark, the good, the evil, the up, the down. Here, we are interested only in the dark. So what I'd like you to do now is take whatever the top card is and deal it to the table, discarding it. The card that is after it, the one that is on top, represents below. Move it to the bottom of the deck. We're going to repeat this until we have only one card left in our hand. So again, the top card represents above, deal it to the table. The next card is below, move it to the bottom. And again, above is dealt to the table, below is moved to the bottom. Above to the table, below to the bottom, and the above is dealt to the table. I now have only one card. I have one card. I have two. And now you have dealt the last card. If you're like us and you've been following along, you should have only one card remaining in your hand. If the spell of Baphomet has worked, if Baphomet has given you his blessing, the card remaining in your hand should be your lucky card. If you are brave enough, look and see what you are holding. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah, oh. That is weird. Yep. Baphomet has given his blessing. Yes. That's my card. Yep. You got a good one, too. That is weird. Ace of hearts. You get, win. <laughs> yeah. Get the hell out of my apartment. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That, is, that was eerie. That was... Wow. I have no explanation for that. And if there's anyone at home listening, again, let us know what happened. And if you were, wearing, uh, if you were using tarot cards, message us. Let us know which tarot card it was and what the fate holds for you. Definitely message myself on Instagram, uh, Rick Creeper 11, or you can message uh, the mind of Robert as well on Instagram and let us know the results of your cards. That was eerie. That was creepy as hell. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's funny. You you mentioned uh, earlier, you mentioned uh, Blackstone. I'm assuming you meant Harry Blackstone. And he would actually come on a show. I used to watch when I was a kid called Square One. And it was kind of the same thing like you were saying, where he would do card tricks and he wanted you even though you're watching on tv to play along and it was kind of a mentalism thing where yes. it, you'd end up with the card that you're supposed to end up with yeah. yes and mm. also also as this was going on this is something kind of spooky i've i've actually uh, heard of people at home who were watching something who were listening to what i was doing and they noticed weird sounds happening in the house or a light began to flicker in the room if any of that has happened also oh, let us know that is definitely Definitely creepy as hell. Jesus. And again, remember, I had more cards than the rest of you, and it still happened. Um, that was definitely interesting. So, I normally end every episode 
with a fantasy question. And this will apply oh. to you as well, uh, co-host uh, NG Speaks. Oh, God. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Robert. Yes, sir. A time portal opens up in my apartment here in the historical district in downtown Santa Ana. And you're approached by your choice of any spook show or spooks theater performer. And you have the option to be a part of or to experience. Who would it be in what area and what and why? Ooh. Ooh. It would be one of two performers. I'm going to cheat on this. It would be one of two. It would either, of course, be uh, Elwyn Charles Peck, uh, uh, Ali Din, seeing the first ever spook show that he performed, or it would have to be Bill Neff. Uh, the the guy who was you know who brought uh, Bill Lugosi out and then probably I'd go for one of those I'd go for probably uh, the first time that yeah Bill Lugosi appeared on stage with him. Would you want to just be a um, a person in the audience? Would you want to be uh, let's say like a stagehand or performer? What what would you want to do? Um, I would ultimately I would love to sit in the theater watch and just enjoy the artwork of what they did and then afterwards if I could sit down and have a beer with them or talk with them. Interesting. So of, and I'm going to give you a second, a second question Okay. of the spook shows that involved and incorporated universal, um, monsters, which one would you want to partake in or, or be a viewer of, uh, Dr. Silkini, uh, Dr. Silkini, definitely, uh, you know, uh, ripping off the, the Frankenstein monster and such. Of course, you know, again, going back to what I was saying before, Bill Neff used Dracula. He had Dracula on stage. Um, but yeah, Dr. Silkini too, because also there's so many pictures of Bill Neff. I know totally what Bill Neff looks like. Mm-hmm. There's very few pictures of uh, Dr. Silkini, uh, Jack Baker, um, partially because his wife actually destroyed a lot of the photos after he died. Interesting. Yeah, it's another one of those kind of like weird mysteries of why she did that. There's very few photos of him. Hmm. Um, it's, there's a few promotion photos. So it'd be really nice to go back and like, yeah, chat with him and talk with him and see what, you know, what he was like. Again, just such a funny, weird character. And then, hmm. yeah have a good image in my head of what he looked like. You definitely want to sit with the man and maybe pick his brain about the art. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Bill Neff more. Bill Neff was more of the brain. Uh, uh, Jack Baker was more of a, yeah, he's a guy to turn to about how to make money at that time. <laughs> Got it. More of the con artist. <laughs> con yeah. artist. Carney. Yeah. Now for my co-host, uh, Emmanuel. Jesus. Whoa. Emmanuel. Who's that? Uh, he's, he's the guy in the next room. Emmanuel. He's, he's opening, the, he's opening the, 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 the decrepit spa next door. Jesus. <laughs> Emmanuel Manjavar, a.k.a. Minji Speaks, voiceover artist and uh, YouTuber. If you could go back to the, it could be the silent era, it could be the talkies, it could be the golden era of uh, Universal Studio Monsters, which movie would it be? And if you had a theater of choice, where would it be? To go watch? Yes. Oh, God. Let's say the debut of Dracula here in the States, like at, uh, I don't know, the palace like in L.A. or something, or up north in Frisco. Man, yeah. You know, it would probably have to be... I would want to go do a theater in San Francisco, just because I do... That's where I'm from, Mm. people who don't most likely don't know um because i would love to see the way san francisco looked back then compared to i literally was just there last weekend and i don't ever want to go back <laughs> unfortunately my poor town has fallen into disrepair i'll say uh-huh. um, but back in the day i you know like the golden city on the bay so i would love to definitely go to any of those towns and i had actually gone to an old uh theater that was con, con- um oh, what's the word i'm looking for um they 
turned it into a movie theater. At the time. I saw Gremlins 2 at this old I'm theater. drawing a blank. There's a really known, well-known theater up there. It's like literally, I think, one or two screens. Um, it's up in Frisco. Um, there aren't many left. Cow Palace? <laughs> the Cow Palace is not a movie theater, but ah, I have been there. Yeah. Okay, well, then I'm drawing a blank. What's it called? Yeah, the Cow Palace. The Cow it's, Palace. it's a small arena. They do. They use, it's famous for like its rodeos, which is why it's called oh. the Cow Palace. Um, but they also do like wrestling shows there and stuff oh. like that as well. Um, but yeah, there was uh, like the oldest theater that's still standing is the Warfield that was there, but that's mostly like a music venue now. But I'm sure they played movies back in the day. I've been there countless times, but there's some other ones that I went to. Um, but yeah, just to go see one of those. And gosh, I would probably go with Frankenstein mm -hmm. for as much as I love Dracula and it's probably still my favorite. The fact that Frankenstein has a score is usually like a huge thing for me because Dracula is a very quiet movie. It's very quiet. Yeah, because yes. they hadn't really figured out the idea that, oh, we should probably put music on the back of this. Whereas Frankenstein does have some background. It doesn't have as much as like later films like The Mummy and stuff. Um, so I would probably go with Frankenstein just because you get kind of more of the full performance of, of the cinema. And yeah, any any of those old movie theaters that are gone now. There was one I went to, I remember, and that's where I saw Gremlins 2 there. Mm -hmm. And they all either get torn down or turned into churches now. Uh, <laughs> there's a great theater in uh, the Circle in Orange. You know, oh, really? But it's it's a church. It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> For me, if I could go back to the the uh, debut or just like the, the midnight screening of uh, Lon Chaney's The Wolfman. Mm. It's just um, I, that, anything with lichen robes just resonates with me and just the moors, the scene of the moors in that yeah. movie, it just it's so cool. And the fact that some of that town stage is still there as well. So, yeah. Well, before we end the episode, uh, Robert, would you like to plug anything? Um, if you are interested in following me, messaging me, tell me about any spooky stories or uh, other strange experiences you have, uh, please uh, check out my Instagram. Uh, uh, Rick has been saying it's the the mind of Robert. You can find it on Instagram. Uh, I have a website. It is www.spookshow.org. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm planning on updating the uh, the website and the address, so it'd probably be better to uh, find me on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and search for The Haunted House of the Ghoul. Uh, you'll find my page, and you could follow and get updates there and see other videos. My co-host, uh, Menji Speaks. Oh, yeah, you can pretty much find me anywhere on the internet at Animenji, A-N-I-M-E-N-J-I. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube are obviously the two biggest things, and it's all, you know, dot com slash animengi and of course animengi.com if you would like to utilize my voice for any future projects man for hire he also has a podcast called the gaming tangent gaming which, podcast. which i had the honor of being on and geeking yes. out of some games yes yeah. go back and listen please we have another episode coming out oh my real soon uh, i'm not gonna lie this has been a very fun episode i, agree. I knew the three of us would Love gel it. very well i'm looking forward to this potential project that uh we're gonna do before we leave <gasps> i need I need the both of you do some type of voices, especially you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you Robert, voice Robert, monkey. Robert has some great voices, and so does uh, Menji too. So just, uh -oh. just whatever, whatever throughout, whatever. Well, my dear men, it's uh, been uh, absolutely fabulous being here. I, I enjoyed the whole experience. It's been absolutely uh, wonderful. Uh, great. I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, very enlightening. Uh, I do have to say, uh, serious. 
lack of brandy here in this, this <laughs> palatial study that you have here. All these books, this giant fireplace, but no, no brandy man, no, no cigars. Oh, here, here, sir. How are we supposed <laughs> to discuss the politic of the day otherwise? So I'm going to do my one, my one voice. <laughs> Keep that dog from dribbling on my seats. Dribbling on my seats. Tyrone, this is a stolen car, mate. I don't know the rest of it. <laughs> when I'm driving, it's my, my car. car. <laughs> Dude, can, you, can you please do Boris the Blade? Just, just please. Boris the Blade? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, God, what's the line? Um... Heavy is good. Heavy is reliable. If it doesn't work, you can always hit him with it. <laughs> you motherfuckers. <laughs> you, if I ever see you again, you motherfuckers. <laughs> we did this last time. It's, it's again, no, my girlfriend's like, no one's going to know that movie. It, it's it's Guy Ritchie's Snatch from mm-hmm. 2000 with uh, Jason, Jason Statham. You do the voice. J- Jason Statham. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> come from Antwerp. I drive cars now, don't you know? <laughs> even does the I'm face. a fucking action star, right? I don't do these crazy fucking Gone Richie movies anymore, right? I don't know what you're talking about. I just punch people in the fucking face. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you, Emmanuel. For <laughs> thanks for having me. Not only, not only for coming on, but being a great friend. And I feel like this is going to be this power trio for this potential project we're going to do. Avengers Assemble. I was happy to talk to Robert again. A lot of people, again, I should maybe plug this on my YouTube channel. If you go back, I did interview Robert yeah, you for did. one of my, yeah. one of my videos. Show Bizarre. Yeah, yeah, this book's so bizarre. It was a lot go of back, fun. Go back and watch that as well. But before we leave, oh, is uh, another before we leave? <laughs> In the heart of Baja California, Mexico, lies a hidden gem. I have bills to pay. The desert oasis known as Manjavar. Natural Springs Resort. Manjavar. Come to Manjavar. Experience fine dining. Five star massages. Five star. Yeah. Natural Springs <laughs> and saunas. Book your oasis today. What are you waiting for? Manjavar. The hidden gem that lies in Baja California, Mexico, known as Manjavar. Old married couples just running across the beach. <laughs> Get away. Now with 35% less cartels. <laughs> where, where I got the Baja California, Mexico. My dad used to listen to uh, KFI AM radio. Okay. And apparently they broadcasted from Baja California, Mexico. And there was like, they used to always have that sound drop in it. And uh, my dad would listen to like Rush Ball and some other stuff. And I, was just, I always heard that AM buzz, AM radio. Oh, that buzz in the it, But apparently yeah. the, 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 uh, the transmission came from Baja California. So, wow. so I just threw that in there just as a joke. So, anyways, uh, thank you guys for coming on. It's been a fun episode. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for the everyone supporting the podcast, everyone listening at home. I think we're done. Episode 12. Farewell. Um, thank you to Zombie Donuts for so, uh, supporting the podcast. Uh, you guys go check them out, support small businesses. And that's a wrap. So, happy holidays and Merry Christmas, everyone. Take care. You've once again barely escaped the clutches of the Creepcast with Rick Creeper. Next time, you may not be so lucky. To find out more about the Creepcast and Rick Creeper, follow Rick on Instagram at rickcreeper11. 
Until next time, be sure to keep that lantern light burning. You never know 